I know the Bible says it. But do you know it personally? Is it one of your things that you can lock on to and know that the God you serve, it's not just a, a figment of imagination. It's not mythology. It's not legend. It's truth. Amen. God cannot lie. God, it's impossible for Him to lie. He's, he's ever present. He's before all things. He's after all things. He's invincible. He's incomparable. He's the indisputable champion of the world. He's, oh, come on, somebody. I know who he is today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. One more time, can we lift up our voices and love the Lord together right now? Hallelujah, yeah. Oh, Jesus, you're worthy, Lord. I know. You know, and since, since God will not be shaken, the Bible tells us that His kingdom is also unshakable. I mean, we're glad to be a part of that kingdom. Praise God. Amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, let's, of course, remember Pastor uh, Lucas, who is out of the country on assignment right now. Um, remember, there's some that are sick. Let's keep them in our prayers. And uh, let's just go to the Lord. If you got a need, would you lift your hand right now? Amen. Look around the room. There's many needs. Uh, it's signified by the lifting of hands. Come on, can we pray right now in Jesus' name? Lord, you're able to exceeding abundantly. You know what each of these needs represent in each of these lives. And God, you're able and willing, as we heard Sunday, to do exceeding and abundantly so we put our faith and trust in you and we transition from just asking to believing and expecting in jesus mighty name we give you the glory praise god praise god let's clap our hands to the lord <laughs> hallelujah well you may be seated the lord bless you uh, i'm excited for what god is doing and for what he is going to continue to do and uh, I just want everybody to know that uh, I'm, um, this, this weather is really crazy. In the last couple of days, we've had to have the heat on. It's been cold and windy. And the next three or four days, it's going to be air conditioner weather again. You know, it's just crazy time of life. But uh, thank God uh, that he is constant. <laughs> Amen through all of that. So. Praise the Lord. At this time, we'll go ahead and dismiss our uh, students. Uh, most of our children are out, but other children, if you want to go on out as well. Uh, and I believe that's it. Of course, our nursery. But other than that, all of our, uh, no other classes are going on tonight. As Pastor Trevor said, we do welcome all of you that are joining us online. And we greet you and bless you in the name of the Lord. And if you're in the area, we invite you to come visit us and be with us. Amen. Well, how many of you love the Lord? Yeah. Praise God, praise God. Brother Joey was supposed to be giving a timely 10 tonight. He is home not feeling well. And, of course, we pray for him and his family. His girls were also not feeling well. So uh, do keep them in your prayers. And we know God's going to touch him. So we'll just bump him to another uh, time as well. 
I'm going to direct your attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 3. And it should see it on the screen. It's all working good if you don't have a Bible. Um, but 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3, the word of the Lord says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God, even our Father. Let us pray. Jesus, I pray you would anoint the word tonight. I pray to anoint me as your servant tonight, God. I ask you that uh, you would speak to us clearly and that we would understand and that, God, you would do a work in this place according to your perfect will. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, tonight I want to teach for just a few minutes on this subject, value-driven leadership. Value-driven leadership. Everybody take one of your pointy fingers, right or left, it doesn't matter. Point at yourself and say, I'm a leader. Amen. Value-driven leadership. Now, last week, talked a little bit about Colossae and their core values. This week, Thessalonica, we're going to look into some of their core values. Uh, and, of course, next week we'll be doing one more segment of Scripture as we close out October. But... You can sum up the core values at, right in this one single verse. They had a work of faith, labor of love, and a patience of hope. And all of these were in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their work of faith, similar to Colossae, was a work of, that, that it wasn't just believing that God is and that God can and does and will but it was a faithfulness to God, a fidelity to God and His Word. And the fact of work along with it, a work of faith. They, they didn't look at this as a work-based concept. We have to be careful with that. We're saved by grace. We understand that, not of works. However, we're saved to do works and, and, and recognizing the difference. We don't worship the works that we do. And neither do we become like Ephesus, so in love with the works that we forget the Lord of the work. Right? But we do understand that faith does take work. Right? Believing that God exists without having never seen Him takes work. It's, there's an effort involved in it. But can I tell you the contrast is true. Believing that God doesn't exist requires faith as well. And a work of faith. To believe that, you know, man just evolved from a, a blob of goo somewhere in the eons of, of, you know, history also requires a work of faith. And, and so, at least on that level, we can understand that living for God, this faithfulness to God, is work. Don't let anybody tell you any differently. It, you know, it, I heard one person say, well, living for God's a bed of roses. And I said, well... I'll agree with that because there are a lot of thorns in those roses, <laughs> right? You know, it's, it's not all zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day, Woohoo! There are some days it's like, oh, right? I mean, I, I wake up some morning going, oh, good Lord, it's morning. And then I wake up some morning going, good morning, Lord, you know, right? It's a work of faith. So this... The church at Thessalonica understood this. 
uh, a labor of love. Again, another word that indicates it, it takes effort, a labor of love. Um, you know, it's easy to love somebody that loves you back. Easy to love when it's reciprocated. But when it's not returned, that's not so easy, is it? How about loving your enemies? How about praying for them? And I don't mean praying that they get three flat tires and fire ants crawl up their nose and, you know, all of that. No, I mean truly praying a blessing on them, right? It's hard to do. It's a labor of love. Okay, so we're talking about core values. We're talking about what this means. And so it's not easy to do that. But in Christ, loving as he loved. That's why I love about Jesus. He says, love others as I have loved you. In other words, when we realize the condition, it's as he loved me. And then I realize how hard I was to love and how much I didn't reciprocate love. Then it makes it easier for me to then love. It's still a labor. It's still effort, but I can love like he loves. Does that make sense? And then patience of hope. This patience here is that enduring quality, that long-suffering, that willingness to endure to the end. And, And hope here, of course, is our eternal hope in Christ. Okay, Our hope that, that what we believe and what we understand is true. Now, let me ask you a question, and you don't have to raise your hand. I'm not asking to embarrass anyone. But has anybody ever struggled with faith or love or hope? Well, you're in good company. I, I want to I draw your attention to something here. John the baptizer, the last Old Testament prophet, Right? Jesus called him the greatest of of all of the Old Testament prophets, right? He then said another cool thing. He said, he that's least in the kingdom is greater than John, which is also kind of cool. But that's another topic and subject down the road. But the last Old Testament prophet is baptizing people unto repentance, preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which is a... It's, it's, John is in this pivotal place. He's at the end of an era where Christ is concealed, and he is at an era where Christ is now being revealed, and he's this link, this bridge between the two. If you, if you go out 680 here, and you go up the north side, you're going to cross a bridge into Iowa across the Missouri River. And if you go south, you'll hit 80 and do the same. He was this bridge from one to the other. And Old Testament is Christ concealed, right? New Testament is Christ revealed. So watch this. This Old Testament prophet, not only was he able to prophesy certain things, But he was able to see the fulfillment of some of those things, unlike many of the other prophets. David could only prophesy Calvary a thousand years before it happened. Right? Isaiah prophesied the baby born in a manger about 768 years before it happened. And on and on the list goes of these prophets that were hundreds of years prior to. They did not see the fulfillment. But John got to see it. Now, I'm getting somewhere. I haven't lost my thought. The question was, have you struggled with faith, hope, and love, right? So watch this. Here's John, this, this bridge prophet, if you will, 
taking us from the old to the new. And one day while he's baptizing people at the Jordan River, here comes Jesus. And he stops and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. What a bold, powerful declaration. The last Old Testament prophet hasn't just prophesied something that's written in ink on pages or papyrus or any other material. He now has said it and seen it. Wow. But fast forward a couple years. And John is in jail. And on the eve of his death, he's going to be beheaded. He sends two disciples to go to Jesus and say, Are you the one or should we look for another? Those are the last words recorded of John, by the way. Now, I'm not saying that to throw John under the bus and, and say he's a bad guy. What I'm saying is if you've struggled with faith and hope and love, you're in good company. Because the greatest Old Testament prophet did. And he saw Jesus. In fact, he was Jesus' cousin. You want to talk about being close to Jesus. They were six months apart. He was so close to Jesus that he leaped inside of his mother's womb when Mary showed up. Because he knew who he was. Now that's powerful. Shannon, the other day we were recording one of our podcasts and she was talking about things that happened in the womb. And, and I wish I'd have thought about that for the podcast. So remind me for the next one, Shannon. I'll bring that up. But here's John in a womb having no cognitive abilities yet. <laughs> and he leaps. He knows that there's something in Mary's womb. And yet on the eve of his death, He's struggling with his faith and his hope. He's endured patience of hope. He has endured. He's been persecuted. He's been in prison. But now he knows I'm, I'm at the end. And, and I think in part John wasn't seeing things happen as fast as he wanted to see them happen. And I think that's why he struggled. Does that sound familiar? We're, we're like, God, I want it now, and I need it A and B and C and D and E as well. And God's like, well, I'm God, and you're not, so F, none of the above. <laughs> right? And so, watch this. These two disciples, can you imagine Pastor Trevor being picked to be those two disciples? I'd be like, you're talking, man. I ain't doing the talking. You know, I'm older, you're younger, pfft, no rock, paper, scissors here. You're asking the question. And they get to Jesus. Uh, Jesus, excuse me, yes? Uh, you know John, your cousin, right? You know him, right? You remember him? Yeah, I know my cousin. Um, yeah, he's got a question for you. And? Well, um, okay, uh, are you the one or should we look for another? Jesus, I love his answer. Go tell John. The blind receive their sight. Deaf ears are unopened. The poor have the gospel preached. And blessed is he who's not offended in me. Now we're on our way back. You're definitely telling John that, Trevor. Because what we don't know about that passage is that Jesus was quoting from Isaiah where he says the blind receive their sight, the deaf have their 
uh, uh, ears opened, uh, the lame leap. And the next one is, and the captives are released. So when those disciples get back, and one of them says, okay, here's what he said. The blind receive their sight. John immediately went to Isaiah. He goes, oh boy, here it comes. He starts playing A flat in his head. And the deaf ears are open. And the lame leap. And he's like, these shackles are coming off. Woo! And he's waiting for, and the prisoners are released. And they said, um, and he also said, um, blessed is he who's not offended in him. What? What you talking about, Willis? Right? So if you've struggled with faith, hope, and love, you're in good company. Little did John know, his last breath, as that axe would sever his head, would be a rest of peace waiting for the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. So if you're struggling with fulfilling core values, you're in good company, especially when they come to biblical core values. Now, um, all of that wasn't in my notes. It was all for free. Uh, so now, now we are charging, okay? So here we go. Uh, I don't even know what that means. It's just weird, but okay, here we go. What is value-driven leadership? Well, it comes with some questions. What drives you? What is it that motivates you? What influences the decisions that you make? And what is the underlying cause of your behavior? You see, these questions have much to do with your values, People function best when they are aligned with the shared values of the church. Oxford Dictionary defines values as the principles or standards of behavior, one's judgment of what is important to life. Thus, values are the guiding principles that dictate our behavior and actions, especially in sticky situations. It's our core values, our understanding of God's word, that when we're faced with temptations, when we're faced with uh, any sort of things, we can fall back on that and know that I have this core value, therefore I'm going to make a wise and right choice. In recent years, value statements have become popular as organizations of all types have come to recognize the importance of values. If you were to go to Chick-fil-A, if you were to go to uh, Costco, if you were to go to Hy-Vee, uh, uh, many of these places will have it posted somewhere in their premise where you can see uh, on the property what their core values are, why they believe they're important for you to be their customer. Okay. Even Panda Express, we were there after General Conference, and they've got a little thing there about their history and their core values and their, what they're there for. And so alignment with those said values then becomes essential to be a part of that company or an employee or et cetera. Well, equally to be a part of God's church, His kingdom. Values are fundamental in knowing what to do and in helping to define direction as well as to stay on track. Bishop D.J. Hargrove explains, here's what he says, values drive desire. 
Desire establishes priorities. Priorities give direction, and direction eventually results in destination. We cannot be driven or defined by performance, activities, talent, or the personality in the pulpit. Instead, we must be defined as a value-driven church, team, and leaders. And that will result in being a values-led church. Does that make sense? You see, values are like a magnet. They attract others with the same values. Oftentimes, we'll say something like, birds of a feather flock together, and we usually are saying that in a negative element about, well, that person's hanging out with you know, this proud, and therefore it's negative. But the positive is also true. Okay? Those who align with said values are going to assimilate together. Donna Prestwood and Paul uh, Schumann state, real purpose is determined by our values. Habits of mind are developed from values that we have, and values propel us along the path to discovering our unfolding purpose. They create an inner compass for solutions to every problem. If you were to look at Thessalonica, their uh, work of faith, their labor of love, their patience of hope, Anytime they got into a sticky situation, anytime the, the church got into a situation, they could look back on those three core values and say, wait a minute, does this help fulfill those values? And if not, why are we doing it? If not, why are we distracted by it? Does that make sense? Think of it this way, and, and, and I've showed this before, but I'll do it this way so hopefully they can see it on the screen, so I hope you guys are following me here, but let's imagine that the drum cage is my values, and we'll use TCOOs, connect, grow, serve, lead, right? Connect with God, grow in faith, serve others, lead by example. That's my purpose. That's who I am. Now, let's imagine that all these other things, these equipment, the pulpit, all that are the distractions that can get me distracted from my purpose, from those values, right? As long as I'm focused on it right now and I'm looking at it, all the rest of this is in my peripheral vision, Right? And the, the closer I get to it, and the more I walk to it, and the more I keep my eyes on the drum cage, the less now these things become. However, if I turn and I look at this problem and situation now, my core values are in my peripheral. And if I turn around and look at this problem, I can't even see my core values now. It's out of my vision. And without vision, the people perish. Does that make sense? Okay. You see, when a person, team, or organization encounters uncertainty or difficulty, it's a good time to revisit the values and, if need be, realign. Because values will see a church, person, team, or organization through seasons of difficulty. Value driven churches. These are stats, by the way, I, I, I've read a number of books, so I'm, I'm extrapolating this from multiple places of material that have done research and, and have data. And value-driven churches routinely outperform churches driven by personality, activities, or performance. 
When a group of people are aligned with a set of common values, the group will then function at a higher state of effectiveness than when simply following instructions, rules, or procedures. Now, how many of you know that we do need some processes and we do need some rules and we, we do need to have some understanding of those things, right? It, it, but, but if that's the focus, if the rules and procedures are the focus and the core values are in the peripheral, then I'm not going to be as effective. But if the core values are there, then the rules or procedures make sense because they align back to the value. That's why I, I want to help anybody and everybody who's ever had a question about, should I watch this? Should I wear that? Should I go here? Should I do this? Here's your question. Ready? Is it wise? It's not about what's right or wrong. Because if we go with that mindset, we're going to search the Scriptures trying to find a loophole. But if we go with a, is it wise, we're looking at it from a value-based mindset. Does that make sense? Okay. And by the way, I, I, I've, I know of churches, and it, and it kind of saddens me, where you have to get permission from the pastor if you want to you know, download some video or watch something. And I'm like, who has the time to deal with that? If you don't have enough Holy Ghost to know that what you're watching is probably not good, then please come to this altar, repent, and get refilled, okay? I mean, really, let's, let's be honest, folks. We've got to have enough Holy Ghost that says, hey, I want the Spirit of God to check me. Now, it doesn't mean you don't need a pastor. It doesn't mean you don't need a church. What it means is let the Holy Spirit do what it's supposed to do. Lead and guide you into all truth. That doesn't just mean telling you that there's one God and you must be baptized in His name. It's also leading you and guiding you into all truth by recognizing this is false doctrine. This is not good. This takes me away from my purpose. So it's not wise. I'm not going to do it. Plain and simple. But if we're focused on the rules, we're going to have a laundry list that's never-ending. You, I, don't do it now. Please don't do it now. But after church, Google stupid laws. It's nuts the amount of laws that continue to get made. And stupid ones, like somewhere in Vermont, you can't breathe underwater. It's a law. I mean, who in the world is trying to breathe underwater that it required a legislator to, legislative body to get together to say, let's make this a law? I would have laughed if I was in the room that day. Are you serious? Point of order, Mr. Chairman. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And how do we arrest them? Thank you, Jeff. Is there lake police that are just waiting? I saw bubbles. He tried to breathe. You're under arrest. Freeze. You know? like wow but it's rules procedures it's like that mindset can i tell you if we did what the bible said love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength love your neighbor as yourself we would fulfill all of the law 
You know, if that was our values, you know what? We wouldn't have to worry about gossiping and fighting and bickering. We wouldn't care who you're voting for. It's good preaching, Bishop. I know it is. Amen. Woo! Sometimes you got to amen yourself. Hallelujah. I'm in rare form tonight, I'm telling you. Lord Jesus, have mercy. Hope you got a couple hours, because I've got about... I need you to rub off on Sister Alicia over there, Kim. (laughs) Now, this is not to say that value-driven and value-oriented churches don't have rules and procedures. They do. But instructions, rules, and procedures are not the focus of value-oriented churches. Those churches who major on rules and procedures tend to struggle keeping people aligned with the rules and procedures because the line is always moving. It's like I was told one time, I come from an era where the machine itself was wrong. You couldn't have the machine, much less watch something if you did have. And I was told when suddenly technology begins to, this is long before smartphones, by the way, I'm dating myself here. And I was told by my pastor that he should have been preaching integrity instead of abstinence so much. And I made a little footnote in my brain and said, if I'm ever the pastor, not anything against him, but that's what I was going to do. And I've tried to do that my whole life, to preach integrity, not necessarily. I mean, there are some things we do need to abstain from. I get that. But if we'll base it on integrity, that alone should help me realize I don't want to do that. Not because there's, let's see, rule number three, section A, paragraph two. No, it's because I'm in love with Jesus. Let me give you an example. I don't have to have posted above my bedroom door, thou shalt not bear false witness so that I don't ever lie. Right? I don't need my wife to remind me every night, thou shalt not commit adultery. I love God. I love her. I love you. I ain't going to do it. It's values-based. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's distinguish a minute. Values from vision. 742. i got to hurry. Uh, You know what? There's a time change coming up. Maybe. Donnie, can you flip that to 642 for me? Okay. That's how I'll get away with this. Woo! Praise God. All right. (laughs) Tell him. On my toes. Um, Let's take a look at this way. Um, The strength of vision lies in the clarity of values. Okay? So let's, let's answer a couple questions here. Vision answers the question, what are we going to do? Okay? Purpose answers the question, why are we doing it? Mission answers the question where and or how will we do it, and values give direction to the vision, the purpose, and the mission to marry them together so that they're carried out. Does that make sense? 
It's like, uh, and I don't know how to pronounce the name, excuse me, uh, so I'm just going to say this person, and you can come look at my notes afterwards and tell me how to pronounce it. Uh, they, they said, the purpose describes what the company does, and you could insert church here for company, and a set of prioritized values gives guidelines for how the company or church's purpose will be carried out. Therefore, values are critical for the fulfillment of vision. And ultimately, your values will give way to your destination. They're the root reason and the underlying motivation and the heart of vision. Now, leadership experts are increasingly taking note of something. Even secular leadership experts are taking note of the importance of values in effective leadership. And instead of just hiring people with charisma and degrees, they're looking for people with integrity. The Apostle Paul understood the importance of values. And if you were to read in 1 Timothy 1, uh, 3, verses 1 through 12, where he mentions the office of bishop, which is elders and overseers, and then those that are deacons, in those 12 verses, only one of them is a learned or trained behavior, apt to teach. Everything else is an integrity issue. Now, I'm all for training. I'm all for equipping. I'm all for getting better. And I believe the ministry should do the same. Okay? I mean, if, if I have, Brother Chris Khan, if I've got, you know, work on my truck needs to be done, and I come into your shop and you're like, i got a Phillips head. I think I can fix it. Probably ain't going to pay you to fix my truck. Right? Well, equally, if, if, if there's a preacher that ain't doing the due diligence of studying and preparation and effort, and right? The Bible says take heed to the doctrine and to yourself. In doing so, you're going to save yourself and those that hear you. And that take heed is, is doing the hard work of studying and developing and loving and leading and equipping and empowering. So there's, there's a lot that gets involved with that. But again... If you desire that office, only one quality is something you can learn, apt to teach or able to teach. Everything else is a heart or integrity issue. And so Paul's response was, let's not put uh, uh, people in place. You know, he says, lay hands on no man suddenly. I remember growing up thinking that meant don't punch people fast, you know. It's like you can maybe punch them in slow motion, do, 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 you know, but not fast, you know. That's not what that means. It means don't elevate them to authority or position too soon. A lot of people want a title. But I like Jesus. He grabbed a towel. Love the arrogance of Peter. You ain't washing my feet. Okay. And you have no part of me. Fine, wash everything. Okay, Peter, calm down. Your feet's fine. <laughs> right? There'd have been probably a few times if I was Jesus, I'd have done the little bop on the back of Peter's head, you know, what ails you, man? <laughs> and then I think that's kind of me. I'm, I'm kind of like Peter. Lord Jesus, help me. Oh, Lord. I'm glad that God's word doesn't focus on leadership ability or charisma, but rather on anointing and on integrity. One of the major things Paul focuses on is self 
control. And, and therefore, what this leads to is what Dr. Eugene T. Wilson said, that what a leader is at his or her, her core is of more importance than what a leader says. A leader cannot profess certain values and live contrary to what he or she has professed. It would be like me standing in the pulpit tonight saying, I am against preachers not wearing ties on Wednesday nights. You're like, but you're not wearing a tie. It, my words wouldn't match my actions. You'd be like, uh, did you get that mixed up? Okay. A leader's personal values can have a negative or positive impact, and negative if it's different than the values of the church. And equally, that, when I say leader, I'm not just talking about in this pulpit. I'm talking about all of us. Remember, I told you at the beginning, point to yourself, we're all leaders. So what does this mean? It means that church leaders must lead from a biblical set of kingdom values. It means that what the church leaders call for others to adhere to must be the same values that they adhere to. I've often said it this way. If you want, I've told pastors this, and if you want people to pray, you better pray. You want people to give, you better give. You want people to serve, you better serve. Okay? And, and, and so it, it, it's, in other words, I'm not going to ask you to do something that I wouldn't do except maybe work in the nursery. <laughs> I don't think you want me in the nursery. Okay? Hallelujah. <clears throat> Unfortunately, some church leaders display values that are self-serving. And we know that their values are self-serving by just simply looking at their behaviors. But Jesus, he said in Matthew 23, 11, the greatest among you shall be your servant. One of those, Matthew, Mark, Luke, one of those says servant of all. So, therefore, our influence is built through acts of service, not titles in position. That's the lowest rung of any kind of leadership is a title. The highest level is influence. Okay? Remember this. Jesus did not worry about titles. He picked up a towel and served. When values thoroughly permeate the church, then the level of respect increases, and leaders respect followers, and followers respect leaders, and it becomes this energizing cycle, you might say, that produces what God wants us to be. When we are aligned with kingdom values, we will not abuse the privileges of leadership. Instead, we will seek to build His kingdom and His kingdom only. Those that don't have kingdom-minded values are building a castle unto themselves. And we don't need silos and we don't need castles. We need to think kingdom, and that means expansion. Amen? The credibility battle is inward, not outward. And it's won by aligning yourself with a kingdom set of values. So to be a, a viable member of the church, or a team, or and both. You must be a values-driven leader. And you do that by focusing on becoming, not doing. 
I remember the time that that young man went to his pastor and said, I'm called to the pulpit ministry. His pastor said, well, I've never heard of a pulpit ministry. What do you mean? I am called to stand in the pulpit and preach. He said, well, can you serve? Can you clean? Can you pick up trash? No, I am called to a pulpit. He said, well, then you can't preach. (laughs) Right? Sister Alicia and I were talking tonight about a mutual friend, um, Regina and Eli Lopez, and how that you know they 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 they're now the associate pastors of a church in Stockton, but they started out as as you know young people that were that were just serving in their capacities. They got married and in, in, in this ministry, that ministry, and then youth pastoring and so forth and so on. And they didn't just overnight all of a sudden wake up and become the associate pastor. It started by serving. So Behavior is what a person does, not what a person is. Behavior is the outward manifestation of a person's inward values. If you want to change your behavior, you must focus on your values. The Bible says, from the abundance of the heart, it proves then that it's a heart issue, <laughs> values, not a mouth issue. I like what happened when Peter failed. Jesus did not need to lecture him on commitment. Peter denied Christ, right? Three times. You know know what I'm talking about? Jesus didn't have to go to him and say, I don't understand what ails your head. My goodness gracious, Peter, what's wrong with you? I gave you the keys to the key. What's wrong with you, Peter? I've got you commissioned to preach the Acts 2.38 message. What is wrong with you? Come on, don't you know why I came? He didn't do any of that. You know what he said? Peter, do you love me? Well, well, yes, Lord, I, I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? What was he doing? He was talking about his core values. Because if, if the core values would get back in alignment, the behavior would take care of itself. And history shows Peter did die a martyr's death for the Lord as the Lord told him would happen. He did not deny him again. Why? Because the values got back in alignment with what they would, should have been. If Jesus would have berated him on the behavior, it probably wouldn't have worked. Can I just interject something here? So when I or Pastor Lucas or others of the pastoral team help lead a saint a certain way, please don't get on us if you don't think we're doing it the right way because we're not necessarily dealing with their behavior. I'm going to turn around so none of you see me because I'm going to say it again because it's the truth. Let the pastoral team, let me deal with their values. And if they don't line up to your system of behavior, then you go talk to God about that, okay? And pray for me while you're at it for wisdom. Because I want to deal with their heart issue. That all right? And I'm not trying to be cocky and arrogant and rude and stupid. What I'm trying to tell you is, if, if I'll do it like Jesus did it, I'll produce some Peters that won't deny him ever again. It might take me a little bit longer, but it's worth it because it'll be values-based. Okay, that was also for free. That wasn't in my notes either. All right, I got five minutes to do this real fast here. How many of you heard my value-centric motto? I believe the best in you. I want the best for you. I expect the best from you. I want you to think about that. Let's break it down. I, want, I believe the best in you. That's values. I'm, I'm looking at you saying, I believe the best is in you, right? 
and I want the best for you. Now, that's the, the behavior. That's getting to the next level. But then I expect the best from you, which implies by its own motto, I'm going to give my best. So if all of that is reciprocated, guess what's going to happen? We're going to have our best. If every person is putting their best in and expecting their best from, guess what's going to happen? It's going to be the best. But if one person is doing all the work, it's not going to be the best. So we have core values here at TCOO. You see it on the wall up here. You see it out in the lobby. You hear about it. It's, it's, we talk about it when we give the volunteer of the month, all of that. Here it is, connect with God, connecting with God. When you connect with God, you receive God's power to live on. Initially, this is when you're born again. However, as you develop that daily relationship with God, it compels you to engage your community for Christ. And of course, there's some scriptures there on the screen. By the way, this is hanging up on the clipboard, so you can snap a picture out there if you want with all the scriptures as well. Growing in faith. The ongoing pursuit of God will cause you to grow in grace, receive revelation, and provide wisdom and understanding of God's principles to live by. So we have power to live on. Now we have principles to live by. Power to live on is the value. It's, it's that embeddedness. If we get it here, then the, when the principles come, it's easy to fulfill them. Does that make sense? All right. Biblical foundations then are solidified as you grow and discipleship becomes a daily lifestyle. Let's look at serving others. Love for God and others compels, uh, excuse me, fills you with joy as you discover you have a purpose to live for. So it starts with values. I've got a, 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 you know, this power to live on. I've got principles I'm living by now based upon that power, based upon those values. And now I understand my purpose for God. I meditate on the revealed word of God. It gives me strength to minister uniquely in the kingdom of God. Here's what I mean by that. Every one of us have the universal call to go and make disciples of all nations. That's not just for preachers. That's not just for those that carry a license. That's for everybody that's born again. That's the universal call. But how we uniquely fulfill that, as well as how we uniquely work in the kingdom. As I mentioned the nursery, thank God for those that will serve. That's not my vision and mission. Thank God for those that can pray in the wee hours of the morning. I have a hard time with that. I can pray other times, but we need everybody doing their unique ministry. Does that make sense? And that's what I mean here by minister uniquely and finally leading by Example, continuing the experience, to experience transformation, you discover your profession to live out. Now, those values that you're living on, that power that has given you those principles that, that are governing you, and you're now, you've got this purpose you're living for, but now it becomes a profession, it becomes who you are. It's not just, I'm going to church, check mark. I gave my tithe, check mark. I, I pray today, check mark. But now it becomes a lifestyle. It becomes who I am as I lead by example daily. Does that make sense? I was a whole lot, and I had to cram it all together, and I hope it was okay. Whew. You know, pots of stew are good like that sometimes, especially this time of year. You throw in a bunch of stuff, and you stir it up, and you man, that's good. So hopefully, it's good, plenty of seasoning. Amen. Let's stand together. Values-driven leadership. What drives you? What motivates you? I want to be everything I can for Jesus.
I want to serve him faithfully. I want to do what I can. I want to go for as long as I can. I want to give till I can't give no more. Old song, you say, I want to love till there's no more love, right? I want to, I want to just do it as much as I can, right? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you tonight for helping us. Lord, I pray that as we fulfill your values, as we work together in the kingdom, that we would uh, uh, take these to heart, that they would become, Lord, those innermost, deep embedded values of who we are, that we would live them out for you, that others might see, that we would be that living testimony to others. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Again, keep those in prayer uh, who are in need. And we'll see you on Sunday.